Hey. We're going to be in the last chapter of the book of Zechariah. And uh, from the looks of things, we'll be there for a little while longer. It is such an interesting chapter. It has been so maligned by religionists. Uh, the last chapter holds the gospel of our Savior, a Savior that actually, as he's brought out in this chapter, actually saves his people from their sins. He's not a Savior that if you incline yourself to him, he'll save you, but he's a Savior that saves his people from their sins. And this chapter has Christ exalted, the church identified and called out of the darkness to him, to himself. Whatever happens, happens for the glory of the Lord and for the benefit of the church. That's what we followed through this whole book of Zechariah, the gospel according to Zechariah. God is honored in every chapter. God is honored. And it is interesting that when we look at this chapter, as we look at the whole book of Zechariah, when we started it, we mentioned that there are at least 46 times in this book alone, and it looks like there are three times in this chapter alone, the 14th chapter, that the Lord is to, given the name of Lord of Hosts. Now, we've mentioned that several times in the past. It's such a glorious name that is given to the Lord in this book, the Lord of Hosts. And one of the passages that I've gone to every time was that passage of Scripture in the book of Daniel is Nebuchadnezzar's confession about the Lord. He rules in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can say, say, uh, stay his hand or say, What doest thou? And this is Almighty God we're dealing with. And it is so important to remember that as we go through this book of, of Zechariah, as well as all the books of the Bible and all of our study that we're studying, we have the revelation of a great and a mighty, almighty God. He's the Lord of hosts. Now, there are three times in this chapter alone that we have that name of God, Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of armies. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the Lord of everything in the earth and everything in heaven. And things don't happen by mistake. We don't find anything happening in the book of Zechariah by mistake. It's always on purpose. God is reigning. He's ruling. He is the God of heaven, the God of earth. And as we look once again at this first few verses of this last chapter, they are in complete agreement with the rest of the book, and they are in complete agreement with the rest of the Bible. It's interesting to find that as we look at the New Testament, the Lord, all of his disciples that uh, brought uh, or was used to write books as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, there's so much that is brought up today about what we call end times that is never mentioned by the Lord in his ministry, by the Apostle Paul in his ministry, by Peter in his ministry, or anybody else. And they'll take the most, uh, the book of Revelation, that is the most symbolic book of the New Testament, and say, look here, we got to follow this. Well, when anything is based upon the failure of God, when it comes to end times uh, theology, when it's based upon God not giving Israel all the land, or it's based upon Christ tried to set up a kingdom on the earth and people wouldn't let him, 
then we have a mess to begin with, and we're going to end up with a mess in our conclusion. So we're going to stay away from that as we look at this passage of Scripture here in the book of of Zechariah chapter 14. And we want to keep in mind that this book is about the Lord of hosts, His almighty power over all things. Now, it tells us here in verses 1 through 3 that we remember the Lord is all power in action. When we come to verse 4, He is the Lord of all power in action. And He is going to share with us some of the great truths of the gospel in that verse as well as the rest of the verses here. Now, I appreciate what I read about the Lord uh, as He has given men in the Old Testament the message of the gospel. He has shared with them these words about our God, about our Savior, that He is not just a, a peanut God, but He is the Almighty God Before we read here in the book of Zechariah, would you join me in the book of Isaiah chapter 46? Isaiah chapter 46, we find here these wonderful words about our God. And we look to this one. In fact, when we're taught of God, we are taught that He is Almighty. We're not taught anything else. And everybody that has ever been saved by the Lord has always been taught the same thing about God. He is almighty, and his salvation is of all of grace. Here in the book of Isaiah chapter 46, and there in verse 10, we read these words. This God, he's declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. When we read through this book of Zechariah, we find the great God, the Lord of hosts, doing all His pleasure. He is the one that is in absolute charge of all of these things, and He has purposed all things that fall out. So, they're not by mistake, but they are by the purpose of God. And again, on the same subject, as we look at the almighty power of God, And this book of Zechariah, as well as in the Old Testament and New Testament, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 15 for just a moment. Acts chapter 15 and verse 18. We find these words about our Savior. Known unto God are all His works. The book of Acts chapter 15 and verse 18. Known unto God are all His works. He is all-knowing. He knows all His works. He has purposed all of His works. He purposed every word of the book of Zechariah. He purposed everything that's going to happen in the book of Zechariah. And it all redounds to his glory, his honor, and his praise. And it is all for the good of the church. We're going to see that in this chapter as well as all the rest of the chapters that are here in the book of Zechariah. So known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. So whatever happened, happened for his glory, his honor, and his praise. And he purposed everything. Nothing was by chance. And then, if you will just turn with me for a short time over to the book of Romans chapter 11, we'd like to read another verse that goes along with this theme that we see in the book of Zechariah of Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of armies. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the Lord uh, of the oceans. He's the Lord of the land. He's the Lord of the sky. He's the Lord absolute Lord, and here in the book of Acts chapter, excuse me, Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, verse 33, this is recorded for us to take great comfort in. When we read the Lord of hosts, we take great comfort in that. He is the God that saves his people from their sins. 
Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Past finding out. The depths are past finding out. We can't, there, there's no way to sound them out, to find out how deep they are. The depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are all his judgments and his ways past finding out. And there in verse 34, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? What a wonderful commentary the Lord shares about the Lord here in this passage of Scripture. And as we go to the book of Zechariah now, we're going to find out, keep in mind these things. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the absolute sovereign of all things. And he does things for his glory, and he does things for the benefit of the church, for the salvation of the church. All things work out for the salvation of the church. So let's go over here to the book of Zechariah for just a moment. And in Zechariah chapter 14, we want to read the first four verses of that book and make some comments. And hopefully we'll get past verse 4 tonight. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1. And we want to look at this as from a New Testament perspective too. These, these verses of Scripture. We want to look at them from a New Testament perspective. As brought out in the New Testament. That almost follow word for word what we read here. Behold the day of the Lord cometh. And I'm thankful as we go through the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. That we find out that God always has appeared in Revelation to everyone he has ever chosen before the foundation of the world and had their names written down in the Lamb's book of life, he has appeared as the day of the Lord has come to them. We can, we can visit with our brother Abel from the scriptures and find out by faith he rejoiced in the Lord. By faith, he offered a more excellent sacrifice. He rejoiced in the God, his Savior. And thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Now notice verse 2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Now this is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. We have the church pictured here. And the church has never, ever had an easy time. Now when we look at how we're able to worship today, how to meet together here in our country without much persecution. We, we have that, but yet the church is still persecuted. The church, as it says, I'll gather uh, all nations against Jerusalem to battle. There's going to be these religious battles that we are brought up in the fellowship that we have in Christ, we're going to be brought up in our the very places that we live, the very places that we worship. There will be time to time when there will be this discussion, the argument against the gospel, the argument against God's grace, the argument against uh, uh, having sanctification only in Lord. We, I, I'm, I'm going to do it on my own. Well, all those things are a battle against Jerusalem. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord, Jehovah, go forth and fight against those nations. 
You know, there's only one way that we're able to overcome all of the assaults that are brought upon the church. There's only one way we're able to overcome the assaults of Satan himself. The book of Revelation shares with us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That's how we overcome. We're overcomers because of Christ. And for no other reason, we can't overcome our own sin. We can't overcome our own temptations. We can't overcome anything. But we are overcomers in Christ. And then it tells us there in verse 3, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. The promise of Jehovah, the promise of God to defend his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And yet he even says that there's going to be persecution. There's going to be uh, divisions. There's going to be things arise in the very church in the, of the living God to test the church, to test the people that are truly believers in Christ Jesus. All of the assaults on the church are known of God. In fact, they are purposed by God. They're not just, he just doesn't let us know that it's going to happen. He's purposed those things to happen. He has ordered them. There must be. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Holy Spirit left these words. He had a man by the name of the Apostle Paul write them down and pin them. He was the secretary, but these are the words of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Godhead for the church, the benefit of the church to know ahead of time. Here it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 19, the Holy Spirit says, For there must be also heresies among you. Oh my goodness. Are you sure about that? Yes, I am sure. That's the God of heaven, the Lord of hosts, telling through the Apostle Paul that there must be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. How important that is. This is going to happen. The Lord of glory said he is going to bring the adversary against the church. He's going to bring the nations against the church. That's the place where the true assaults come, is against the church. Heresies are going to be brought up in the church. And then back up, if you would, to the book of Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, we have these words. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 7. This is the Lord himself sharing. Woe unto the world because of offenses. Matthew chapter 18, verse 7. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. There's going to be attacks. The Lord has prescribed it. The Lord has commanded it. The Lord has purposed it that there will be attacks against the church. And we're going to find out who is going to stand. But woe to the man by whom offense cometh. That same thing is said about the, the uh, 12th disciple, the one that betrayed the Lord. The Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto him by whom he is betrayed. Offenses must come, but woe to him that brings the offense. This is not going to be easy on them. The Lord of glory has purposed that churches will come under attack. Preachers will come under attack. The gospel will come under attack. And Lord give us grace to survive the attack that is promised to come. In Acts chapter 20, as the Lord brings these attacks, now we may be settled right now, 
But the gospel continues to go out. We preach the gospel. We pray that the Lord would bless the gospel to the hearing ears, that God would purpose that there would be some elect in, a, in among us and hear the gospel as it's declared that Christ is the Savior that actually saves, that He is the Redeemer that actually redeems. There's good news in Christ. The blood of Christ overcometh. It is what we uh, are washed in, if you please. Here in the book of, of uh, uh, Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, and we read here these words, Acts chapter 20 and verse, verse 30. Acts chapter 20 and verse 30, it says, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw disciples after them. Now, now, it's sad to say, but in my time I've seen that thing very that very thing happen. People drawing disciples after them, and what they have to draw after them is nonsense, foolishness. But that's what happens. And here the Lord has said, I've purposed it. I'm the Lord of hosts. I'm the Lord of glory. Now, turn with me, if you would, to Second Peter, and then we're going to go look at the book of Acts some more about that where... The men and women, they would come under assault. There is as prescribed there in the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. Here in the book of Second Peter, Second Peter, again, it's going to be brought out. Second Peter, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Second Peter, chapter 2. We are called on to be careful. We're called on to wait. We're, you know, uh, I, I met a, a preacher who said he's a sovereign grace preacher, about two months ago, and he asked me if I was retired or not. And I said, uh, uh, what do you mean? He says, well, I'm going to be gone, and uh, I, I would like you to preach at my church. He didn't know the first thing about what I believed. And I found out I don't know anything about what he believes. You know, how strange it is to me to have be invited into a pulpit when nobody knows you what, what could be said? And that's the problem we have today with, with churches, that they're inviting anybody into their pulpit. Well, we can't do that. But there were false prophets also among the people. This has happened in the Old Testament. We see it in the book of Numbers. We've been going through the book of Numbers. We have ten false prophets come back with a false report, an evil report. They're false prophets. I've been visiting with a young man. I think I mentioned this. The last time we visited, he said, Norm, if what you have to say is right, then I am lost and I'm a false prophet. Now, I mentioned that to a dear friend of mine, and you know what he said? He only believes what you said, Norm. Someday, I pray that he'll believe what God says. That's the important thing, what God says. Even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. In verse 2, And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So it's we are called on to be so careful. These things are going to be brought up. They're going to be. God has purposed them. I'm going to send these nations after Jerusalem. I'm going to purpose them. Why? Why would he do that? To prove those who know, to prove those who have the truth, to prove them. Others are going to fall away. They went out from us because they were not of us, because if they'd have been of us, they'd have not left us. So we have that. Now, 
Turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to read a few verses out of the book of Acts about a man that was used of God. Now we look at this whole passage of scripture here and say, God, this man is a terrible man. Yes, he was. And he was terrible to the church at Jerusalem. And he was terrible to the church in Damascus, the assembly of saints there. He's been terrible. Notice how close this resembles that verse of scripture there in the book of Zechariah about what's going to happen when the Lord sends these nations. In the book of Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. Notice this with me, would you? He is prescribed to do this. God has purposed him to do this. This is just the fulfillment of those passages of Scripture. Here we have a very zealous religious individual, and it tells us here, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Now, that word havoc isn't a pleasant word for anybody. He made havoc. He wrecked havoc. Entering into every house. Now notice what he did while he was there. Hailing men and women committed them to prison. Now that verse of scripture over there in the book of Zechariah chapter 14 about what's going to happen. Men and women alike are going to be ravished. And here Saul of Tarsus, a very religious man. He was a doctor of the law. He studied the law and he thought he was right. He was very convinced he was right. He was so convinced that he was right, when he heard the truth, he foamed at it. goes on to tell us there, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, what? Preaching the word. Those that Paul, excuse me, Saul of Tarsus, was used to come in and, he says, rake havoc. He wrecked havoc. He made havoc of the church, entering into every house. Now, I don't know what you'd do if there was a knock at the door and some religious leader was there going to arrest me. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? But it tells us here, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. One more time, we hear what the psalmist said, The redeemed of the Lord say so. We have room to preach the gospel. This is not going to deter us. Now we do have record of people hiding in caves. That's the book of Hebrews chapter 11. People hiding away. But they continue to rejoice in the gospel. In the same book of, uh, uh, of Acts chapter 9. Would you join me there? Acts chapter 9. We have someone prescribed by Almighty God to come and raise havoc with the church of Jerusalem and to raise havoc in the area. He came into homes. He came into homes and arrested men and women. And here in the book of Acts chapter 9, the book of Acts chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. What did he do? He went in and ha made havoc of the church. He dispersed the church. He sent them out and arrested many. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Ananias is the man that God said, go and talk to this man Saul. 
and baptize him. In Acts, backing up to chapter 9, verse 1, let's read this. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now Paul is going to confess to us that he participated in the death of these. Many were slain. Many were killed as a result of his arrest. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughter. What did the Lord share with us there in the book of Zechariah chapter 14? He's going to bring these countries again, these nations against the church. He has prescribed it. He has not only predicted it, he's promised it. It is his, and he will do what he needs to do and has purpose to do, and he will bring that. He did that with the church of Jerusalem. He did that with other saints throughout that land, and he used one man and all of his cohorts to go along with him to do this, this nasty deed. Well, as we follow this through, we find here in the book of Acts chapter 22, let's follow this, let's follow this, as he's brought up this man against the church. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 4, Acts chapter 22 and verse 4, Paul reflecting on this, Paul looking back, Paul being reminded of it, he says, And I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Now the Lord has purposed that. He's promised it. And he said it's going to happen for the furtherance of the gospel and also to identify those who know something about the gospel. It's going to happen. Mark it down. It's going to happen. Now, it may not happen as harsh as it did in the days of Saul, but I've been around people that if they could have, they would have done bodily harm when they heard the gospel, when they heard the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace. I've, they, they would have done something if they could have. I'm thankful for the restraining power of Almighty God. I persecuted this way unto death binding and delivering unto prisons both men and women. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul again reflects on that. He reflects on what happened, what he did. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9. He says here, For I am the least of the apostles. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. The Apostle Paul shares with us that in his other life, his life before the gospel, his life before Christ, his life before he was saved, before he was born again, he persecuted the church of God. And he really persecuted the church of God. We have record of it. Others persecuted the church of God in slanderous terms, in all kinds of ways. We find even Herod persecuted the church of God and slew an apostle. And he saw that the people were pleased. He was ready to do some more. Well, turn with me again concerning Paul. 
Paul in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13. We have this, I'm going to send nations against the church, against Jerusalem. I'm going to have them come. And they're there on purpose. It's happened in every age. Oh, to think for just a moment of our brother Abel back there so many years, so long time ago, written in the book of, of uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 there about Abel by faith. And you know, his brother came up against him, found fault in him, and slew him, killed him. Killed his own brother over this very thing of grace. God has a way. He has a purpose. He's going to carry it out to, his, to the fulfillment. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew exactly what was going to happen when his child, Abel, offered a more excellent sacrifice. He didn't have to brag about it. He didn't have to say anything about it. He just did it. He followed the instructions of the Lord and his own brother came up and rose against him. Well, we follow this pattern. We go there in the book of Numbers. We read there that when those 12 came back with an evil report, the people were ready to stone Moses and Joshua and Caleb to death right there. God prevented it at that time, but they were prepared to do that. They said it was better back in Egypt than it is right here. Well, we know that's not true. People without grace, without the gospel, without Christ, they cannot see what a benefit it is. Only when Christ is revealed are we able to see the blessings of grace. So here in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 13, For ye have heard of my conversion in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion. What a comparison we have here of a Jews' religion and those that knew the gospel. And profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals, in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. This is what the Apostle Paul had to say about it in his later life. And then one more time in the book of Philippians, we see this one character how much he turned the church upside down, how much he persecuted the church, how much he was interested in both men and women, and he cast the final vote against many and had them condemned to death. It was he that stood there, and they laid their coats when Stephen was stoned to death. He consented to it. Here is this man that is prescribed by God to get involved in the church in a negative way. Well, let's look at this one other passage in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 6, we read these words, Paul said, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is, which is in the law, blameless. You know what Paul or Saul of Tarsus thought? Since he'd never robbed anybody, he wasn't a robber. Since he'd never killed anybody, he wasn't a murderer. He was always outside. He was circumspect outside, but inside he was full of dead man's bones, and he was going to confess that very thing in his life. All right, as we follow this, go back with me to there to the book of, of Zechariah for just a moment. Zechariah chapter 14. Here we have this great onslaught that the Lord has, uh, has purposed. We've just seen one man in the New Testament. That's just one man. Look what had happened. 
as God gives permission, as God purposes this to happen, for the sifting out of the truth, for the sifting out of the saints, for the purpose of bringing them out to show that they are truly born again, that this persecution has happened on purpose. Here's one man, we just have the record of it there in the book of Acts, and as he writes about it in those, in those gospel accounts, here in the book of Zechariah chapter 14, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Now notice verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. Now how does he do that with the most grace? Let's just follow Saul of Tarsus. What did he do for Saul of Tarsus? He came, as it says there, and I'll fight against the nations. I'll fight against this one. I'll win the victory over this one. He's my chosen vessel. That's what he shared with that man that was told to go down there. He's my chosen vessel. He's an elect. Can you imagine an elect person doing what he did? Yep. We're all guilty. We're guilty in our life. Before we're saved, we're guilty after we're saved, but thank God for blood that was shed on our behalf, that he took all our guilt. We're sinners saved by grace. That's all we are, just sinners saved by grace. We have no righteousness of our own. We only have the righteousness of Christ. We have no sanctification of our own. We only have the sanctification of Christ. All is ours because of Christ. So, let us go over here to the book of Acts again, chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, as we see the Lord of glory, the Lord of hosts got involved. The Lord of hosts got involved with this one man that was raising havoc in the church. He was raising havoc on purpose. He was doing exactly what he was appointed to do. You know, there was a bunch of people. We don't know their names, except for Stephen. We don't know many of their, how they lived. We, don't, we know there were men and women that were cast into prison, and many were killed. But Apostle Paul was used of God to put those people at the throne of the Lord Jesus. Their lives were ended. They were done away with in the flesh, but they resurrected to see Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's exactly the means that God used to have those people acquainted with Him in spirit before His throne, worshiping Him as the spirits of just been made perfect do. So here we are in the book of Acts again. We know this account. It's a glorious account here in the book of Acts chapter 9. As God overcomes, God is the winner. He's never lost a battle. He has effectual gospel. His word is effectual. When he purposes it to do something, it does something. And here we have that uh, gospel goes out, and it's a call that goes out. I'll never forget my son sharing with me an illustration of the effectual gospel. I've used it before. I'm just going to do it again. You know, he used to borrow books from the library, and book after book, he'd never get back there. He'd have it in his library of his own. And he'd get notes from the librarian. Please bring the book back. Here's the fine. Bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. And he never paid any attention. And finally they wrote a letter to him and says, If you don't bring those books back, you, the sheriff is going to visit you. Well, he said, Dad, that was the effectual call. I got all those books back. He didn't want to go to jail over it. Well, in just a small microcosm, that's a way that God acts. God calls through the preachers. God calls through sermon audio. God calls in many, many ways. The gospel goes out. But it is the effectual word 
that we read about here in the book of Acts chapter 9. It's the effectual word of God that strikes our, the chords. And he produces those chords of love. He draws us to himself. It is not something we do on our own. We have to be drawn. And here in the book of Acts chapter one, uh, 9 verse 1, read with me here. And we just read this. Then Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter, his mind had not changed through this whole thing. We think, my, why didn't he get ashamed of himself and go over there and apologize for all he did? We think that's all people have to do, you know. That's not what people have to do. God has to work a work of grace. Threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priests. Here's where he's getting his authority from the people who supposedly knew the Bible. High priests and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues where God's people were worshiping there. And, they, and if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, the Lord said, I, I'll come against those nations. I'm so thankful the Lord comes against us, don't you? Comes against our nature. Comes against our thoughts. Comes against our religion. Comes against our own weakness and power. He says, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? The Lord spoke to him. My goodness, this is a bad man. He had a reputation so far and wide. He was terrible to be around. The very mention of Christ just put him into a rage. The very mention of the resurrection put him into anger. He was ready to kill anybody that believed the gospel, the good news about the Savior, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. He was ready to do danger to them, to harm. And now we have him stopped. He fell to the earth and heard the voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Now did Saul actually lay a hand on the Lord Jesus? He laid a hand on his children. I like what the Lord shared with Mary Magdalene there at the tomb. You go tell my disciples about, I go to their God and my God. I go to their Father and my Father. Isn't that terms of endearment? That the same Father He has is our Father? The same relationship the Father has with Him is the relationship He has with us? That's that's grace. So he said here, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The Lord had brought such against him, such power, Lord of host power, overcame him, overcame his will, overcame his purpose, overcame him. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord. Now that, mark that down. Underline that. He said, Lord. You know, he never stopped saying Lord after that. He never stopped saying Lord God Almighty after that. He never once stopped saying Lord. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he goes. Arise, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, 
and they shall it shall be told thee what thou must do. And that's where we read about that man over there that uh, was afraid to go to him until the Lord said, he's a chosen vessel of mine. The Lord will go forth and fight. Aren't you thankful the Lord goes forth and fights? The Lord gets involved in the battle. Now, he may send the persecution. He may send the persecutor. But thanks be unto God, he also sends his, goes forth to fight. And oftentimes, just as in Saul's case, he wins the battle over that, that great sinner. Paul said he's the chiefest of sinners. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners of whom I am chief. The Apostle Paul said that. Well, I think everybody that God ever saves has that same impression. God has an effectual call. Notice there in verse 4, Saul, Saul, named him by name, brought him to his knees, gave him the new birth, did all that God does for his people, all that he promised he would do, he did it there to, to this great persecutor, to this one that had been brought out of uh, uh, to, to treat people the way he did. Now, let's go back, if you would, for just a moment to the book of uh, Zechariah. Now we find the Lord doing something else. The Lord doing something else there in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. We know this isn't something that's going to happen off in the future. Uh, the Lord is going to come back, just like he said uh, through those angels, as you saw him go, so shall he return. That's a promise. But we know this, that when the Lord comes again, he's going to call all of his people. And it's, we're not going to have all of the stuff that people are saying is going to happen. We have, as the apostle, or as Daniel brought out, it says he's going to have a judgment, some to just, just and the unjust. He's going to have a judgment. It, it is a judgment. I don't know how you, what you talk about it or how you describe it, but I look at some of the old ancient church fathers and they call it a general judgment. Here they are, lined up, right hand, left hand. That's what we find in the Bible. And he's going to welcome those on the right hand side because of grace, and only because of grace, not anything that they had done uh, uh, got his attention. And the rest, because they were not chosen in Christ, because they were not his, because they were not elect, he says to them, depart. So there we have it. That's the way. Now here in the book of uh, Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4, and this Lord, this Lord of hosts, the Lord that goes forth to fight, as we find in verse 3, the Jehovah, L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and if that's not enough, we find in the same chapter three times, Lord of hosts, Jehovah of hosts, Jehovah of armies, his feet shall stand on that day in Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east and on the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst. This Lord of hosts, this Lord of glory, this, this Lord omnipotent that reigneth is going to bring, and he always has brought, whenever he comes into the midst of a people, he has always brought a division. You're either for him or against him. That's what he said. You're either for me or against me. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground in the gospel. You know, I was taught that there was there was a place in between going with God and going with the devil, and it was up to you to make a choice. That, that is just a rotten lie. There is no place there. There's no in-between. We are by nature alienated and separated from God. 
We were separated in Adam, and we continue that separation. And there's a, a wall between us and God. We just will not allow him to rule over us. And yet we find out after we've been saved, he's been ruling over us all along, just like he did Saul of Tarsus. This one, when he touches, shall cleave in the midst thereof, towards the east and towards the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half the mountain shall move toward the north and half towards the south. Now, if we follow this down for just a little bit, we're going to find out in verse 8. And it shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them towards the former sea and half of them towards the hinder sea. What is that living water? That's the blessed gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that gives life. It's living gospel. What did Peter say? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Most gods are dead. Most people's gods are just dead. But this shall go out to the former sea and half toward the hinder sea in summer and in winter shall it be. It doesn't matter what time of year. It doesn't matter what country you're in. It doesn't matter what place you're in, what station you're in. It's the gospel that makes all the difference. It's the preaching of Christ that makes all the difference. That's where the church gathers and that's where Christ draws the lost to himself, is there, to himself. And so we re rejoice in that. Now I want to read three times in this book of, of Zechariah, chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14, this name of God is mentioned here 46 times in the entire book, but four, three times in the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. Look with me in verse 16. Verse 16, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts. What does Saul of Tarsus do? What do all the elect do? You know, we were never with him. We had left him in Adam. Shall go up to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of the tabernacles. And then in verse 17, And it shall be that the, whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto the Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. There will be no blessings. The Lord of hosts. If you don't come up and worship him, there is no blessings. There's no rain. And finally, in this book, in verse 21, we have in chapter 14, Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. So everything redounds to the glory of the Lord of hosts. Now as we follow this through, we're going to see the gospel. It is a glorious gospel. It's a living gospel. It's a declared gospel. God's people declare the truth about Christ, the truth about sin, the truth about the Bible. They continue to declare that very thing. And God is pleased from time to time to reveal the Son, the Lord of glory, the Lord of hosts, to people. And they, like Saul of Tarsus, will say, Lord, what will you have me to do? What a glorious gospel we have. What a glorious gospel he's given to his church. And you know, it will come under assault. It will be attacked. But the Lord himself said, I will protect the church. Even though I prescribe that this must happen, and there's going to be divisions, there's going to be heresies, I will protect the church. I'll take care of it. I'll lose none. 
They all shall be mine. So we're going to stop there for tonight, and we'll pick up this chapter of the Lord willing next Wednesday and, and, and move on down through here and see the glories of the gospel of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. May we go to the Lord in prayer before we are dismissed.